0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The book of the Song of Solomon, sometimes in your Bibles, is listed as the Song of Songs. Amen. After the book, amen, of, of, of uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you will find it there. Amen, tonight. Hallelujah. The Song of Solomon, I want to read just one verse of Scripture, a few verses actually, but I just want to read from chapter number five this evening. I'm trying to get all my notes out here. Got so many, it's going to take a long time no it's just that i have it written everywhere that's why amen i'm glad god can make sense of that amen song of solomon chapter number five i want to read starting with verse number two and just read just read a couple of verses right there tonight song of solomon five verse number two and three the bible says this and this this is the the shulamite the woman that's always a a a struggle or a task through the book of the the Song of Solomon keeping track of who's talking you know is it the woman is it the man or is it the daughters of you know who's all talking here but this is the Shulamite that is speaking here she says I sleep but my heart waketh it is the voice of my beloved that knocketh saying open to me my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled... Boy, he's laying it on thick now. I mean, sweetie pie, honey bun, dear darling. You know, he's saying, My, 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 my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. She says... I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? So it begins with the Shulamite speaking that she awoke, but then is the words of her beloved that speaks. And then she in return, it's a dialogue going back and forth, talking about I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? Amen. Tonight, I, I don't have, a, I don't have a, a title for you to be able to call this something before it's over. There might be one that would just come hard upon my mind. But right now, I don't have necessarily a title, amen, to call this. But our focus here this evening will be verse 3 in that phrase that she says, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? And I'll just lead with this statement tonight to bring perhaps clarity. And this is true. That there are some things easier to take off than they are to put on. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you here this evening. I need you, Lord Jesus, in this place tonight. I pray, oh Lord, God, let your spirit and your power, God, come down and walk among us here in the next few moments. God, I'm not able, Lord Jesus, to do this alone or by myself. God, I need, Lord, your spirit to speak through these lips of clay and through my mind. I pray, oh Lord, bring clarity, Lord Jesus, God, to your word through your messenger tonight god i pray oh lord help us god just to lord hone lord our attention upon you this evening to see what the spirit might be saying and speaking to the church god and i will be receptive of it and accepting of it in the lovely name of the lord jesus christ and i pray amen and amen let the church say amen. amen amen you may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the lord jesus christ Hallelujah. This great grand love story that we do not, or at least people do not preach from often. I wanted to take a text from this evening. I have preached very close among these verses before in the past, but a particular phrase has come to my attention unlike it had before. To understand uh, the story of the Song of Solomon, many people will avoid going there, reading it. I say, guys, you need to read it to your wife. It would be a great romantic reading uh, for you sometime on a date night just to begin to talk about the Song of Solomon to your honey bun. Amen. But when we read the story of the Song of Solomon... It is the story, if you will, of Solomon and the Shulamite. It is a story that has implications beyond what is just on the surface of paper. Many have tried to uh, draw the lines between Solomon the Shulamite, between the Lord and his church, the Lord and his bride. And with that in mind this evening, when we begin to read the story, we understand that this King Solomon is having an affection for the Shulamite. Who the Bible almost seems to portray as a woman that is somewhat of a peasant. A woman that is a keeper of vineyards to the degree that she has left her own vineyard unkept. She is so busy toiling in the vineyards of others that she seemingly does not have the time to keep her own vineyard. And it's a tremendous thought to even consider that a king would condescend to have love and affection for a peasant Woman or a peasant lady, and it's in that we start to understand our own value in the eyes of our King and our own value in the eyes of our God, that he from his throne in glory would even begin to consider the likes of you and I, people who in their best state are still a defiled state, and their best state is still an abased state. Who in the world would have thought that Solomon would have an attraction to a lady that is working feverishly in the vineyards and the field with dirt underneath her fingers, yet that is exactly what he had done toward her love and affection For her, and likewise, God for us. And as it would go, they would enter a time of dating, they would enter a time of courtship. They would oftentimes have exchanges of appreciation and exchanges of uh, of love words, you know, those little pet names that they would have for one another. There were times that that he would go see her and she would go see him. There was like a two-way street that was set up between them for this interaction. It wasn't that he was always going after her, but there were some times that she was going after him. So it wasn't just the peasant going after the king, but the king going after the peasant. And they have this time of courtship between one another. And the Bible points out in chapter 3 in particular, it hones in on one of those times that his love is in another state, it would seem, of sleeping or she was dreaming. It's hard to decipher in chapter number 3. But the Bible says that she went by night and she sought the one whom she loved. She had a desire to see him, a desire to be with him, just, just to behold him with her eyes or hear his voice with her ears. And as a result of that, she got up from where she was evidently in bed. She got up from where she was, and she went on a search to find where he was. She left her home. She left the comforts of her house. She went out into the city, began to look high and low, perhaps places that he might have been or could have been because her soul was longing to have a time of being with him. And as she sought high and low, the Bible describes to us that, that she did not find him. But that didn't keep her from her search that didn't keep her from just just, just going on a few more blocks or just a few more doors down just because she didn't find him in an instant did not mean she went back home climbed back in bed and thought no just another day or another time or another hour no she was purposeful that she was going to have a time to see him and hear him because she loved him can someone say amen and the Bible says that once she came upon him and that she found him the Bible Bible states these words uh, that she held him basically in her arms and she would not let him go. And he, she even brought him home to her mother's chamber because she wanted to have a time of hearing him, seeing him, knowing that his presence was where she was at. Someone say, Amen. Don't you remember it? Do you recall those moments of time when you first come to know the Lord? Do you remember that moment just after you just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you spoke in new tongues as His Spirit gave the utterance or you went down into a watery grave of baptism and all of your sins were washed away in that moment? Do you remember what it felt like? Do you remember as though it felt as though He just had you held in His arms the joy that you experienced? Some of you laughed. Some of you cried. Some of you, just were just overwhelmed with what you were feeling didn't know what to do but you knew this that you were in the arms of someone that truly loved you you had been in the arms of other people that had gave a profession of love toward you but in that moment of being in the arms of God you knew without doubt and with great clarity that you were in the arms of one that loved you he spoke words of compassion words of love and adoration toward you he told you he didn't care where you came from He just told you he didn't care what your life was prior to that. That he loved you in spite of all of that. Don't you remember? Does anybody remember in this house that moment, that day, that hour? I remember those times just even as a young man coming to know the Lord I remember those times and what that did for me was this I was eager then whenever it was time to go to the house of God I wanted to be there why because I got to see the one whom I so loved I wanted to be there I wanted to hear those songs I I wanted to hear that word because that when that word was being spoken that was my beloved speaking to me that was him speaking comfort to me I remember as a young boy I received the Holy Ghost at a young age of 8 years old but after I received the Holy Ghost I used to sit with mom and dad and I began though then sitting on the front row amen my my, my my sibling only got one here I guess tonight amen can testify to this I started sitting on the front row and brother Cook just as a young boy at that age I had a binder I had me some paper in it I had pens brother Pat and as that preacher's preaching I'm just sitting there writing I'm writing everything down that he's saying the reason why because that was more than just some man giving a lecture or telling a story. Those were the words of my lover. And I, I couldn't wait to get to church. And I, I, I had a brother in law at that time. Amen. I would go everywhere with him and we would get to church early and we would go into the prayer room and we would pray early and we'd be there for a long time. Why? Because we were already spending time with the one that had picked us up out of the mire, the one that has saved us, the one that placed his love upon us. And we would, I, I'm telling you the truth. I'm talking about Michael Jordan. I went everywhere. Michael, he was the brother I never had. We went everywhere. And I remember going to that prayer when we'd get there at church so early, nobody was there. And there are some times, and I'm young now. I'm young. You go on to try to start praying when you're eight years old and you're that young. Man, you start thinking about Hot Wheels and everything else. And we were in there praying. And I remember many times seeing Michael over there just prostrate on the floor. He's just prostrate upon the floor, just flat, his head down. And there's some times I wondered if he was asleep. I'm telling the truth, but he was talking to God. And I'd even tap him a little time, move him a little bit. But he was praying. I got closer. I could hear him whispering. I don't know what he was saying. But somehow I just convey in my mind that maybe there was just some sweet whispers between him and God. Do you remember those times? I remember those times when they said, it's an all-night prayer meeting. Honey, sign me up. I'll be there. Why? Because we're going to have all-night conversation with the lover of our... We, we were so unconventional. We talked to God in the big green van that we had. Amen. We, we, it was big green. It was a green van. Man, we had some shouting times in that green van. People received the Holy Ghost in that green van. Amen. How did I? Because people were just so in love with the Lord. Just so in love with the Master. They just, whenever you were talking about the awe, Brother James, whenever you began to think that he could love me, that he could, because nobody knows my life like Paul McGee knows. Nobody knows my history like i I know and to consider that the God the creator of all things would love me wow yes, sir. Yeah. Right? and they called for seven day fast the bishop would say well, who's going to participate and hands start going up. what yeah why because this is this is about the love relationship. Yeah. Someone say amen. amen. And in those days, it was, we're having fellowship meeting on the first Friday. We're loading up the band. We're loading up the band. People, whatever else was scheduled wasn't as important. this was another opportunity to have interaction with the lover of our soul. And we went. We heard. He spoke to us again. We felt his presence. We heard his voice. And if we had eyes in the spirit, we've seen his movement. Woo! We've seen his movement. Here is a Shulamite who says, Once I got my arms around him, And once I found him, I didn't want to let him go. Here is a woman that's so overwhelmed by this fresh love, so overwhelmed by this first love, that she says whenever I got my arms around him, I didn't want to let him go. There was nothing else that I cared to embrace any more than he. There was nothing else that I wanted to entertain my life with more than he. As a matter of fact, I'll take him to my mama's chamber. I'm going to bring him home. I don't want to have to go out for a search for him again. I'm going to bring him home with me. Where I go, I'm going to take him because I'm so... In love with him. So I'm saying, amen. amen. But in chapter five, the wedding days already occurred. Chapter five, the vows have already been exchanged, so to speak. In chapter five, is the backside of a fresh love. Uh huh. They've already, they spend day upon day together now. The king goes, does his kingly work and he comes home at night. He's available there at the house anytime. Anytime that I would want to say something to him. And on the backside of all this, the Bible portrays for you and I. That the Shulamite is already in bed. She's there alone. Without her beloved. The Bible portrays that he is on the outside of the chamber where she is in bed. The Bible portrays that she has the door locked. Honey, it's not good. When the bride's in bed with the door locked and you're outside. She is in bed. The door is locked. Uh She's already done all of her evening rituals to make preparations for that bed. She is there. She is almost in a state of sleepiness, half asleep, half awake, dreaming or not. We cannot really tell. But she says in that moment of already being in bed, her beloved out, the beloved that she said she would not let go of. The beloved at one time she went seeking for, but now he's standing at the door seeking her. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Oh, she's in bed and comes that knock on the door, comes that knock on the door. And the Bible says, she said, she said, it's the voice of my beloved. She recognized the voice. She knew who it was at the door. She knew it wasn't a stranger. She knew it wasn't someone three houses removed. She knew that was the voice of her beloved. And he's there knocking and she hears her voice. And he has to say, do you understand what I'm saying tonight? He has to say, darling, love, dove, sister, open. Open to me. Because I'm out here knocking. This is our chamber. This is the room where intimacy can take place. This is the place where intimacy can take place. But you got me on the outside right here. The door is locked. And I'm just asking lady, my woman, my love, will you just open? Something had happened between courtship and wedding day. Something had happened from before when they they were not around each other all the time to now they had access to each other all the time. Something had happened between then and now. Now this beloved is on the outside. He has to knock on the door of his own house. I'm his and he is mine. And he's having to knock on the door. Of his own house. And he's crying out, open unto me i could almost hear the voice of solomon and i can almost hear the voice of the lord i remember the times that you were seeking me out i can remember the times you were searching for me i can remember the times you were longing for me i can remember the days that you couldn't go another day without church you couldn't go another hour without talking to me and now i stand at the door of my own house and i'm saying open to me No, this is not a beloved this is not a man here that's being sarcastic or exaggerating he says "Hun," he says i'm outside the door here my head he said is filled with dew there's drops of the night there's dew in the locks of my hair dew just doesn't all of a sudden just show up folks I know right now where we're at this time of year, you know, you go out at a certain time past it's dark and it gets a little later, there's your feet get wet. But it's not that it turns dark and all of a sudden boom there's water on the ground. That takes time. This husband out here saying there's dew upon my locks, he hadn't just been there for a few seconds. He hadn't just been there for a little moment. He's been there for a while, long enough that the dew of the earth began to form upon his head. He had been there long enough for that to happen. And he says all these things to her. And here is her response. And I, I hope I'm not, man, I might. She says, she knows it's him. She knows by his statement and probably knows literally. He's been there for a while. And yet her statement is, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? This coat that we're talking about, this coat that she has taken off or put off, this was not an outer garment that the Shulamite had. This was the coat or the garment that was worn essentially by all females and males of that day, both Old Testament and New. It was the undergarment, so to speak. She says, I've laid that aside. The biblical writers say that the undergarments that they wore in that day sometimes were without seam, but they declare emphatically that those undergarments were tight-fitting garments because the undergarments' purpose was not to camouflage anything, but to become one and identify with what it was covering. And so it was a tight-fitting garment. As a matter of fact, when you read in Scripture oftentimes times that it would state a person to be naked if a person just had on that coat or that last garment, they were considered naked. That's the reason why you see Peter in the New Testament Scripture. He talks about, oh, I was naked. It meant that he just had that one lastly garment that was on. And many times people didn't even take that garment off. Many times they didn't even take that garment off because it was so tight fitting. Someone say amen. And so here's the Shulamite. What we have here are more than just a couple of excuses. What we have here is more than just a lady saying, it's going to be a great inconvenience for me to get back up and put my coat on and for me to put, you know, dirty my feet after I've cleaned them. I've wore sandals, you know, in that day all day long and, and the dirt's been upon my Cleaned them before I got in bed at night. This was more than a lady saying, it's going to be inconvenient for me to get back up. But what this is saying to us in verse number three, she says, I put off my coat and notice how it's frayed. Here she says how shall I put it back on and it wasn't that she didn't have she didn't have the knowledge or the know-how on how to dress herself back up but the underlying concept is this I put this tight fitting garment off I've taken it off and it's going to be more trouble to get this thing on than it was to take it off someone say "Man." amen I've come in this church this evening as a a declarer if you will with a warning in my voice for everybody that sits under the sound of this preacher tonight that you better be careful in your walk and you better be careful in your relationship with God the love and the affection that you had toward him when he first picked you up out of the dirt and first picked you up out of the mire and all of the affection and adoration you had toward him you better be careful that you don't come to a place in your walk in your relationship with God that you start taking some things off that are going to be harder to put back on in an hour that you would she says I know that's my husband I know that's him knocking at the door but I got the door locked and it's going to be harder to get this stuff back on than it was to take What well, you saying tonight, Brother McGee, I'm saying I've seen over the past histories of my ministry, people sat in church houses, revival services all across America, and they would do a move for God. They would have communion with God. They would answer the door. But the tragedy of the situation is somewhere along in their life, they started putting off things. They put off worship. They put off prayer. They put off fasting. And there's just some things that are so tightly fit to your person they are harder to get back on than they were to put off. Yeah. Oh, so Someone say amen. amen. How how shall I put on what I have put off? There's things like that. There's instances like that. When we were kids talking about Harder to do something than undo it. When we were kids, I lived at the same address the entirety of my life. 137 North Brown Street in Princeton. You can see it from El Rodeo, where we lived. And in that old house, that old house still had the, like the little, I call it like skeleton keys for the doors. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, our locks. Our locks were not inside the door. They are on the face of the door. We got all the mechanism and everything. Now, you know, it's inside the door. It's hidden from the eye. Not at the McGee household. Those locks were on the face of the door. And so on the inside of our front door was, was that lock. Oh, what an eyesore, you know. On the outside. And whenever I was young... And still just, you know, a young boy and and I was just growing up and you know, dad had all those horrible girls and he had to wait for the best to come. <laughs> get me. But well, before I came along, Rhonda kinda played the tomboy. Rhonda Platt kinda played, I know you would never guess that she kinda played the tomboy. She wore the mechanic's hat, whole nine yards, went went to the went to the shop with dad whenever they did mechanic and got greasy and all those type of things. Well, we 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 had Rhonda got this harebrained idea. Rhonda got this harebrained idea that she's going to tear apart the the lock on the front door. (laughs) Honey, she got in there, Mike. Don't let her ever touch any tools. She got in there with her tools. She took that thing apart. The locking mechanism, the springs, everything. And these old locks, man, they're big. And they got, I mean, they got everything short of a Cadillac in there. And so she undid that thing and had everything laid out. And I don't know if it was broken. She's trying to fix it. Or if it was fixed and she's trying to break it. But nevertheless, she had all this strung out. And she tried to put that thing back together. And it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Because it was a whole lot easier for her to disassemble. for her to put everything back where it was. How many mechanics could sing the woe of someone that brought their vehicle to them. That said well I was going to take care of it myself. But I started figuring out I had a few extra pieces. Because it's real easy. Sometimes to do one thing such as take it apart. But getting it all back together. It's real easy to come to a place to get of having no concern. It's real easy to, to just start missing here and there. It's real easy to not be moved by the message like you once were. It's real easy just to kind of slip away and allow entertainment of the world to become paramount, more so than the things. It's real easy to go down that road. But if the beloved ever calls, honey, I'm here to tell you as a pastor tonight, it's going to be a whole lot harder getting all that back together where it used to be. It's real easy to just say big deal. Someone say amen. Amen. (laughs) Whenever I read in scripture, I read of the story of something that was very easy to put off. It was by virtue of his birth order. It was by virtue of his birth order that Esau had granted into his life the right of being the firstborn and the birthright. Because of his birth order. That that came to him. What a privilege. What a grand privilege for him. That when everybody, when, when, when his mother and father would die, that whenever they would pass, that he would get a double portion. A portion above the rest of his brethren. What a, what, 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 what a privilege. What, what, a, what a responsibility then he had to take care of his mother even after his father died. All these different things that come by virtue of his birth order that birthright that was placed upon him. But being out in the field for a day, coming home to his twin brother Jacob who is doing some porridge and doing a little stewing, if you will. He walks in. He is he is famished. He is weak. He is hungry. Amen. And he's wanting some of that, that porridge. He's wanting some of that, that food that his brother has cooked. And he just strikes a deal, if you will, with his brother. Jacob says, if you'll give me your birthright, he says, I'll give you this, this, this pot, this bowl, if you will, of soup and stew into your... And the response of Esau, "Ah, do you understand what he had in his hand? The birthright, a double portion, the family name, all of this is dependent upon what he has. Yet in that moment, he says, you know what? I am at the point, he says, of death. What good is this birthright to me anyway? And in that moment, in that moment, Esau started to take off. Something that was tethered to him by his birth order. It was him. It was a part of him. If I can say it was. Tight fitting to him. It was his identity. But in a moment, he started to take off that birthright. And the Bible says later in his years, though he even sought it with tears. He sought repentance with tears. He never, never found it. Because there's some things that are easier to take off than they are to put back on. there's Christians sitting today on apostolic pews that knew the Lord and somewhere in their journey put off their relationship with God and put off the hearing and hearkening to the voice of God and they backslid and yes thank God they've come back to the church but they're still sitting on apostolic pews some of them and they're frustrated and they're cranking their hands and they're almost mad at themselves because it seems like they just can't get back to where they were before they left God they can't just get back to where they were Before they left God They're in that struggle of trying to get back Trying to put back on What they took off I preached to some young people in this house If you've been baptized in Jesus name And filled with the Holy Ghost Don't you neglect that Don't you put that off Don't you shrug that off As nothing big Because there could be an hour in your future That you'll want to put it back on And it'll be harder to put it back on Than what it is to take it off know I got people in my family put off God 16 years have elapsed in one case and it's not because the beloved's never knocked in those 16 years but it's because in the moment he knocks they have difficulty getting back on what they casted aside People in my family, let's cast him off, put him on, and cast him off again. And I remember plainly the first time they came back. They said, I don't know why I ever did that. Don't know why I ever left. Don't know why I ever got angry at God and everything. And just did that. And heard from their own words, Sister Rhonda, saying, I tell you what, this is rougher than what I thought it was going to be. Getting back. Do you understand what's been afforded to us? The king has come to a peasant. The king has come to a peasant and placed his favor upon him. My mind, my mind, I'm not trying to keep track of time, but my mind is reminded here this evening of yet another, another scenario. The Bible talks of King Saul. King Saul, who was the appointed king by God. Yes, all the people wanted it. But God said, okay, if you want it, then this will be the one that you'll get. It'll be King Saul. Saul, in the closure of his life. He's on Mount Gilboa. He's, he's fighting, amen, with the enemy. Some of his sons are encircled around about him. He's in warfare. He has his sword. He has his shield. He was known for his sword. But he has his shield as other warriors of that time would have. And the Bible says that while they're in battle, that Saul was sore, wounded of an archer evidently through the joints of his armory sore wounded of the archer and Saul began to think to himself how in the world am I going to live after I've been wounded like this it's in 1 Samuel 31 the last chapter of 1 Samuel He says how in the world am I going to live after I've been wounded like this and we read the different accounts of 1 Samuel 31 and then of 2 Samuel 1 in one instance it looks as though a man that Saul's armor bearer did not slay him and so then Saul slayed himself, yet when we read 2 Samuel chapter number 1, even if Saul done that, fell upon his own sword it seems as though he didn't get the job done because the Amalekite had to come and finish him off but the true tragedy of the situation is in 2 Samuel 1 that David is talking about how have the mighty fallen and their weapons of war perish and David's given his lamentation and when he speaks of Saul he said Saul vilely casteth away his shield Saul vilely casteth away his shield that shield that was to be an instrument of protection to keep the darts if you will and the arrows of the enemy amen coming upon him I don't know brother Cook I don't know if it happened prior to an arrow hitting him or if it happened after an arrow hit him but I of the persuasion tonight will go with the road that it happened before an arrow ever hit him he began to cast off something in the moment of time that he needed it and it was necessary it was at a distance that it was harder to get in that moment than what it had been if he just kept it in its proper place. Come on, now. Someone say, "Amen." He cast away his shield vitally. Look at this. Please pay attention. Look at this. Chapter five. I put off my coat. How? Shall I put this back on? Are you listening? The Bible tells us in the next few verses that her beloved that was outside the door put his hand in there on the lock, put some myrrh there, left something to indicate more than just a knock, more than just his voice, that he had been there. And he leaves. He leaves she's aroused by everything that has taken place and she gets up now. You listening to me? What she didn't see she could do before. She now somehow figures out how to get it done. Or we might say it like this. What she had put off before she's putting back on but it's more difficult to put some things back on than they are to take them off so that by the time she gets it on, the lover that's there is now nowhere. I don't know if I'm helping anybody here, but as I said earlier, it was not always, it was not always the trait, it was not always the culture and the practice even to take that garment off because it was so tight-fitting. If a person needed to be able to go in the moment, they wouldn't have to fiddle around with that because it was already there. Had she never taken it off, even if she delayed by contemplation, she'd probably been up soon enough to answer the door while he was still there. But because she had totally forsaken it and totally put it off, she had a heart attack. mark the words of this preacher well. Mark the words of this preacher well. God, your beloved, is always eager. He is always desiring you. And mark my words well. If there comes a juncture in your relationship with God, you're not desirous toward him. There will be another moment where you will be, but he will have already She gets up. She's she's, she's up now. The feet are getting defiled now. She's got back on what she had taken off now. And she goes and all that she has. Are you listening to me? All that she has is the remnants of where he had been. All she has is a little myrrh on the log that indicates he has been here. Listen to this pastor today. Don't put off the things that are more difficult to put on because if you don't watch yourself, you'll just be left with a memory of where God has been in your life. And let me tell you, while the myrrh at that moment may be potent and stout, only days, only days will prove that in a little while, even that memory will fade. She's up, she's up, and she is on the move. Something's clicked, something's happened. Just knowing that he was there, she heard his voice, she seen the remnants, if you will, of where he had been stirred something within her. I wish it would happen for somebody tonight. I wish somebody would hear his voice fresh. I wish somebody would hear him freshly. I wish somebody would just re, if you will, evaluate where he has been in your life. And that would stir something inside of you. She got up. She started on her search now of trying to find the one that had loved her unconditionally. That loved her whenever she did not love him back. The one that searched for her being a king and she only a peasant. And brought, if you will, her stature up to where his was Whenever he entered into the relationship with her, he brought her stature and status up to where his was rather than she lowering his to where. Come on, come on. You have got the better end of the bargain in this deal. Yes, yes, yes. She's going around. She runs into the watchman. She runs into the daughters that speak things at different times in Solomon. She tells her daughters, these daughters of Jerusalem, she says, if you find my beloved, she says, you tell him that I am sick of love. In other words, I need him. I, I do have a passion and a compassion for him. Brother Terry, they've told me in my office They've told me over phone conversations, people that knew the Lord but then put off some things and couldn't put some things back on. They've told me, how can I find God again? How can I find Him again? I I, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to do, but it's so difficult. It's so hard. It's like it's a struggle. You know what they're doing at that moment? They're telling me like one of the children of Jerusalem. If you see God, when you talk to God, that's the way they talk. They don't say when you pray, but they say when you talk to God, remember me. Remember me. Honey, I don't want to be sitting across the desk from some of you or some of your children or some of your grandchildren and you telling me, oh, if you'll just remember me when you pray. I don't know how to get back. I don't know. How to retrace my steps? I'm looking for my beloved. She does, though. And whenever you read verses 9 through 16 of the Song of Solomon 5, read that and let it slap us all in the face. Because the women said, You want us to find your beloved? Well, what is your beloved more than any other beloved? What's so different about him? What sets him aside from everyone else? See, she's going to have to walk back down memory lane for this one. Because she's ignored him a lot lately. She don't have no fresh stories. She will have no fresh stories, but she's going to have to walk down memory lane for this one. But even as she does the walk down memory lane, she begins to tell these. I'll tell you what sets him apart. I'll tell you what sets him apart and makes him different than anybody else. And whenever you read verses 10 through 16, honey, she starts spilling it off. She starts describing her beloved. She talks about his head. She talks about his locks. She talks about his eyes. She talks about his cheeks and his hands. He, she talks about his legs and his mouth. She is given a very vivid description of this one whom her soul had loved. Sure, if we would would just have a parenthesis in that list of everything she was recounting, there would be, if you will, the flutter in her mind. Oh, his legs and his hands, and it's like pearl, and it was like gold, and it was like this, and whoa, 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 and this is why my beloved is better than any other beloved. If there was a little parenthesis in the scripture, I could almost hear her thoughts that would say, Why did I ever ignore him to begin with? Why did I ever put that off if I knew it was going to be a stumbling block to me having communion with my beloved? (laughs) See, because in this moment, she finds herself in that place again that she is again now pursuing him. Rather than having having to be the pursued, she is the pursuer. Something happens. This is what it used to feel like. This this is what it used to feel like. But we reach those points of time of relationship. The songs are being sung, the anointing is thicker than it's ever been. And we feel the hand of God. God and it's shaking us and we just shrug it off we feel the anointing of his spirit we hear his voice speaking to us but we just deny it we just do all these things and we're just shutting it off and shutting it down but he's pursuing us and he's pursuing us he's pursuing us he's pursuing us what we need is a moment where we're just so madly overtaken by him that we start on our own pursuit and come to realize this is how I used to feel I wanted to get there early I wanted to be attentive I wanted to give him part of my day I wanted to give him part of my meals this is how I used to feel before I put off those things that were more difficult to put on. <laughs> Listen to Pastor tonight. I close with this. I close with this. And please be just going to be mindful of the Lord. I feel His presence. God is in this place. The beloved is standing at the door tonight. Brother Cook, the only other thing that my mind kind of lingers toward is another story that you'll all be very familiar with. It's of a man who was deemed to be a judge that would begin to deliver Israel. His name was Samson in Judges 16, where the closure of his story comes to pass. He had already went through the issues with Delilah of, if you will, compromising, you know, bind me with new ropes or bind me with green withes that's never been occupied. He went through all these different things that were things, if you will, that, that really did not compromise or sacrifice anything in taking off. But at last, and you can stand with me, but at last, if we can just bow our heads, at last it comes, he says, Let me just tell you, oh, I'll divulge my whole heart. If you'll shave, the locks of the hair that are upon my head. I'll just be like another man. And the Bible said, whenever she had done that, as he slept there upon her knees, that the Philistines came in, and she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And in himself he said, I will rise and shake myself as I have at other times. But the Bible says he wished not, he didn't know but the spirit of the lord was no longer with him what happened samson had taken something off that was going to be more difficult to get back on hear me hear me oh what's the difficulty what's the difficulty he broke a vow He broke a vow of having, a Nazarite vow of having his head shaved. But here is the truth. Brother Cook, you already seen where I was headed. Here is the truth of the story. It would take time for that hair to grow again. He couldn't just get back what he had taken off. What he had taken off, listen to me. Some things that you can take off in this Christian life in a moment take months and years to get back off. Some of the experiences that you've had in this very church building that's happened in a moment. You could search your whole life outside of here and never experience that. They're harder to get back on these altars are open tonight to every saint tonight every person lost, found unsaved, saved here tonight the beloved is in pursuit of us he desires us and if you've known him he wants to maintain and keep the fire of that first relationship with you he doesn't want to be squandered to the outside of the door knocking, you hearing his voice but unable to do anything because you've taken some things off Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Come on, young person. You started to unbutton. You started to try to take that vesture of some of the things, amen, of God off of you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't disvesture that garment of righteousness and worship. It may be harder to get back on. Can we start praying?